welcome everyone to the Citizen's Guide once again. Um, busy, busy day of news. Today, Connor and I are going to talk more about President-elect Biden's cabinet picks, uh, Donald Trump's ongoing attempts to reverse the election results, developments in the COVID-19 crisis and vaccine distribution, uh, new news that Russia gained access to vast amounts of government data, and then finally we'll end with ongoing relief negotiations in Congress. So Connor, first let's highlight some of President-elect Biden's cabinet picks. So excellent news, sort of a recovery from, from last week's nominations. You have going down the list, Representative Deb Holland of New Mexico for Secretary of Interior. Um, and then you have Michael Reagan as EPA Administrator, former Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm as Secretary of Energy, and former mayor of South Bend and Democratic presidential nominee Pete Buttigieg. Um, starting with um, Representative Holland, Holland would be the first Native American to serve within a presidential cabinet. She uh, tweeted out Thursday night, a voice like mine has never been a cabinet secretary or at the head of the Department of Interior. I will be, a fierce, I will be fierce for all of us, our planet and all of our protected land. Um, do you have any thoughts on Representative Holland? I'm so excited for her. She is kind of a like a, a very progressive pick for Biden in a cabinet that is shaping up to be more centrist. Um, the Washington Post wrote, in selecting 60-year-old Holland, a member of Pueblo Laguna, Biden has placed the descendant of the original people to populate North America atop a 171-year-old institution that has often had a fraught relationship with the nation's 574 federally recognized tribes. And then, you know, like you said, Connor, just the historic nature of being a native uh, person in the cabinet is so important. And if she's confirmed, she will be in charge of managing one-fifth of the land in the United States, which is just a massive undertaking. It's our national parks. It's just all, all federally owned land. Um, it's the monuments in DC. It's just such an important job. And I think she's really qualified for it beyond just being a native woman. She served um, on kind of the interior related um, committees in Congress for the last two years. I think she's very prepared for this job. Um, I think it's a, a truly inspired choice. By Joe Biden. And then before I go further, I just wanted to highlight that while I was researching this, um, the Washington Post reported that there's 1,250 executive positions that require Senate confirmation. Of those announced, there's been 20 so far. So it's just, I was just surprised that there were that many positions that required Senate confirmation mm -hmm. to begin with. And I thought 20 was a lot, but yeah, turns out not really. Yeah, I think most um, of them don't draw like these big confirmation hearings. Yeah. Like they're much more like quick in terms of confirmation. Yeah, yeah. Um, moving on, we have Michael Reagan as EPA administrator. He would be head of the Environmental Protection Agency. Um, Reagan currently heads the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality. During this time, he forged a tough multi-billion dollar settlement over coal ash cleanup with Duke Energy, established an environmental justice advisory board, and reached across the political divide to work with the state's Republican legislature. Um, he'd also be the first um, Black um, American serving as EPA administrator. This choice speaks to me as sort of what Biden promises, sort of big environmental projects, but also trying to, to work within um, 
work with a, a, a divided Congress, perhaps, if that turns out to be the case. So choosing someone like um, Mr. Reagan seems like a, a good choice. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. And I think his experience in North Carolina is, like you said, really applicable because North Carolina has has had a Democratic governor for, for several years and then a Republican-controlled state legislature. So he has that experience. And this is, this is different than choosing like Jay Inslee from Washington to do this job, who's a progressive firebrand and who doesn't have a ton of experience working with Republicans. Um, but there's also a ton of work for Mr. Reagan to do. The Trump administration has done everything in their power to weaken the EPA um, to roll back environmental protections and regulations, a lot of those having to do with, you know, car fuel efficiency, emissions for coal burning plants, and then some Obama era stuff um, with methane limits from oil and gas wells, so some kind of more complicated stuff. And then, um, yeah, I just think he has a big job ahead, and I think he's prepared for it. He's young, he's like 44 years old, which is inspiring to see someone so young put up for this job. Um, yeah, once again, a, an inspired choice. And I, yeah, like we said, this week's kind of slate of cabinet selections is getting better reviews from us at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, next you have former Michigan Governor Jennifer Gramholt as Secretary of Energy. She was governor of Michigan when the Obama administration bailed out the auto companies during the Great Recession. During that time, she became a vocal advocate for the development of electric vehicle technology to preserve her state's industrial base. For the past decade, she has been arguing that the United States could be left behind if it sits by while other countries continue to develop alternative energy or energy technologies. Um, sort of, this is what I was realizing too, that the Department of Energy is, is majority nuclear weapons department. In budgetary terms, the nuclear program consumes about 75% of the department's budget or $27 billion. Um, and um, former Governor Gramhold has no nuclear energy background. So I think this sort of represents a, a, an interesting pivot to sort of um, move the department toward sustainable energy in a way that hasn't really been done before instead of focusing primarily on nuclear weapons and nuclear energy, which I, I think is exciting, especially her, her work around electric vehicle technology. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think <laughs> President Obama's final energy secretary was like a nuclear physicist. It was mm -hmm. somebody who knew the nuclear side of it. But I think, and I was reading and I didn't, I didn't catch the name, but it's expected that her deputy um, will be someone with a strong nuclear background. Um, so you, you, you don't have a lack of expertise there. No. Her experience as governor um, of a state like Michigan is so, so, so valuable. It's a large state, it's a diverse state. Um, and yeah, like you said, her work with electric vehicles, um, just a big emphasis on alternate energy. This whole kind of cabinet that we've built up over the last few weeks is just so geared towards tackling the climate crisis in a way that no other cabinet before it um, has been focused on that. Jennifer Granholm is also just like a genuinely cool person. I've watched a few clips of her speaking like at the DNC convention, maybe in 2016 or before. She has energy. She gives off a real Michigan vibe, which is very cool of her. Um, she's just a person with a lot of promise. And I think since she ended being governor and started and, you know, we'll be up for this. She's been teaching at, a, at I think, UC Berkeley. Um, so that, that kind of working with students experience, I think, is really cool as well. Kind of bringing young people into the conversation. Um, mm -hmm. I love this. I love everything about her. 
And then for the final uh, nominee that's been released, you have former mayor of South Bend and Democratic nominee Pete Buttigieg for Secretary of Transportation. He tweeted out, this is a moment of tremendous opportunity to create jobs, meet the climate challenge and enhance equity for all. During his presidential bid, he built on calls for the leadership torch to be passed to a new generation, something Biden himself says was absolutely essential. Buttigieg was the first openly gay mayor gay major party candidate to win delegates in a bid for the White House and his campaign was aided by the support of his president, of his husband, Chaston. He'll be the first openly gay cabinet member to be confirmed by the Senate. Um, <clears throat> former Republican Congressman Ray LaHood, who served as Obama's first transportation secretary, praised Biden's choice for transportation, saying Buttigieg knows what mayors and governors need and will work for a boss who's seen the importance of countering economic pain with tens of millions of dollars in stimulus spending. Um, just for background, the Department of Transportation has a budget of almost $90 billion. It funds highways and transit systems. It runs the air traffic control system, oversees the safety of civilian aircraft, and regulates a trucking industry that employs millions of people. So a big task ahead, um, <laughs> but I, I think he's up for it. I think he has promise. He, like like um, LaHood said, I think he has sort of the the where the rubber meets the road sort of knowledge of what these localities need for implementing these sort of transportation changes infrastructure week um yeah maybe we'll in, finally in, get infrastructure week i'm ready i'm ready for that in accordance with sort of this whole slate of building out sorts like a climate policy which i think this whole sort of um roster represents is 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 using the stimulus using this recession as a means to um, invest in green green infrastructure and green energy. Yeah, totally. And yeah, I think there's been a lot of criticism of this choice from a lot of different people. And I just would like to point out that the current transportation secretary is Elaine Chow, whose only connection to transportation is being um, related to a big logistics family in China and then also being the wife of Senator Mitch McConnell and Republican presidents in this century have just made a habit of making her a cabinet secretary um, seemingly to get closer with him. So I just really don't wanna hear a lot of criticism about this pick. I think Mayor Pete, and I'll just continue calling him Mayor Pete forever. Um, yeah, just has like that experience as mayor that's so important that a lot of people in DC just don't have like they don't remember the last time they had to worry about when a pothole was being filled or you know what route a highway would take and I saw Connor when we, I was doing research for this how this is going to allow having a younger person in the Department of Transportation will allow us to think more critically about how our infrastructure impacts minority communities and just kind of a whole slate of issues that really just haven't been considered before this moment. And again, like this kind of climate forward approach to transportation is so important as we hopefully move like our larger urban areas away from like cars and more towards mass transit. Yeah, yeah, it's all very exciting. Yeah, and I couldn't be more excited about these picks. More, more promising than last week. Not that last week was, yeah. was awful. Any stretch of the imagination <laughs> of these past four years. Yeah. Um, but I think this is exciting for building out this sort of a vision for a, a, new, a new path forward. Yeah. Well, EPA, Interior, Energy and Transportation, 
have the opportunity to have a larger impact than defense. Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah. the hope. And that should be the hope of every cabinet secretary is that domestic policy takes precedence and matters more than foreign policy because the goal of foreign policy should be that we don't we don't fear it and we don't we don't lose anything from it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so I guess the lame duck president has been busy this weekend. He's been very busy, Connor. So a quote from Forbes, President Donald Trump reportedly inquired about an idea raised by his former and now pardoned national security advisor, Michael Flynn, that the U.S. military be deployed to overturn the results of the presidential election, a claim shot down by his advisors at a meeting where the president appeared to embrace increasingly fringe notions about his election loss Um, During this meeting, Connor, Trump floated naming the conspiracy theorist attorney Sidney Powell, um, who has pushed a baseless theory that long-dead Venezuelan leader Hugo Chavez rigged voting machines. Um, He wanted to make her special counsel to investigate voter fraud. Um, This is deranged, Connor. It's not normal behavior. We talk about this every week. Um, This is kind of a new level of scary, this idea that the commander-in-chief would instruct the military to somehow rerun an election, which there's nothing, there's nothing that provides for that in our in our laws or in our constitution. So, you know, the odds are low, but I I hate that we're having to roll the dice. The like, odds were low that Sidney Powell would be invited into the White House. Right. Well, she made it. She <laughs> made it, Connor, and she's there, and she's just latching on as best she can as a kraken um, could as as only a kraken could that's right um do you have any thoughts about this ongoing coup attempt and on a scale of one to ten how likely do you think it is that it's successful i think it's it's zero i think okay. it's it's unlikely it's successful because one we're very grateful that there's incompetent people in charge of this coup attempt yeah you, you don't put someone who run trump who ran trump university or trump stakes in charge of overturning an election as large as the United States, especially one that was not even that close nationally. Um, so no, and one that's lost so many lawsuits. So so many, so many. I, We're like I approaching a s- hundred. I still sleep at night knowing that that won't happen. But the fact that there's no sort of call from within the party to put a check on this behavior in fact some people have even just encouraged this mm-hmm. i saw you have representative matt gates and senator-elect tuberville and <laughs> someone else from alabama saying senator-elect will... coach tuberville mm-hmm. you have you have them saying they'll they'll fight these these charges in congress when it meets to certify the electoral college mm-hmm. just inane inane people doing just the worst worst um worst actions for our the health of our democracy and i don't know it just seems like you said like it escalates every week like you know i thought last week was pretty bonkers but now we're here and it just gets worse you have you have these people inside the white house you have russian asset mike mike flynn in the white house again urging for martial law and it's yeah, you know, it's not, it's not healthy. You don't <laughs> want these healthy. things because now this is going to become a baseline for Republican politicians to always claim that the election is fraudulent in 2024. Like, right. could you imagine in 2014 saying just that sentence, you that that lead in? Like, yeah, no. right. No, it's just never been a question, you know, past 
weird stuff that might have happened before the Civil War about like electoral legitimacy and like the legitimacy of the system. Yeah, so it is weird. And yeah, we'll never stop talking about how weird this is. And the scary thing is like a Republican could very well be elected president in 2024. And what if it's someone smarter than Trump um, of which there are many people that fit in that category and it's frightening. And I think it just is incumbent upon all of us to think critically about what we can do in the meantime to, to, to prevent that. And I think, you know, we're not talking about it much this week, but Georgia is a good first step, um, making sure we win some Senate seats so that we can show what democratic leadership can do for the country. And we can show voters um, that it really does matter who's in charge, so. And I, like you, if I can speak for you, have, have read over the past four years, many Republican representatives or officials or senators disclosing privately to and anonymously to reporters of how distrustful or how worried they were about the president's actions. And, you know, if they were worried about it, they would have voted to impeach him. Right. They would have voted for basic things to restore the legitimacy of our mm-hmm. electoral system. They would have they prevented haven't. him from seating a Supreme Court justice days before the election. Mm-hmm. But they haven't be- and they won't because they have this Faustian sort of bargain with him that they won't be able to break, apparently. Because the system is so broken that, and I was talking about this earlier with someone, the system is so broken that, especially in the House of Representatives, most districts are so safely red or safely blue that the biggest fear is a primary challenger, not a general election challenger. And Republicans especially, um, if they think about standing up against Trump, they worry that he will both support and fund through super PACs, a primary challenger from their right. And that's gonna be a really risky situation for a lot of incumbent Republicans if they ever um, wake up with a conscience one day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm not gonna hold my breath on that on that part, unfortunately. Four years was too long. <laughs> Four years was, it was far too long, Connor. And you, it just, yeah, I, I don't even know this, it just, it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing that this is the situation that we find ourselves in and we have no one to blame, but everyone that we've talked about since we started this podcast, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. corrupt media organizations, uh, social media that hasn't been regulated properly, uh, ill-informed voters, um, just a bad, bad mixture of bad things. Yeah. Um, but Connor, there's some good news this week about vaccines coming to states and going into people's arms. Tell us, tell us about that. Big news. It was Moderna <laughs> approval week. And we'll start off with the good news because it gets worse as, yeah, as, yeah. as no, all this, this news tends yeah, to Yeah, the do. story goes downhill quick. <laughs> <laughs> but the Moderna vaccine was approved this week. It'll begin shipping this weekend with hopefully needles in arms Monday. Um, the Moderna vaccine is similar to the Pfizer vaccine. It uses mRNA technology and it requires two doses, but unlike it, it doesn't need to be stored at such cold temperatures, which makes the distribution easier. Um, and then also in another good news, I guess good, I don't know what this reflects poorly on, but there was extra doses found in vials of some Pfizer vaccines. <laughs> I don't know. I'm excited about the extra doses. I think it's yeah. a good thing. <laughs> yeah, so normally they're, they're standard would there be five, five doses in a vial, some 
some um, doctors have found up to six or seven extra extra pulls from the syringe. <laughs> um, so that's good. And then the FDA cleared that for use in this emergency situation. Um, I bet the first person who found that extra dose was nervous. Yeah. I would really worried I'd messed it up real bad. Mm-hmm. Got my mm-hmm. math wrong or something. I don't know how a vaccine works in that way, but I think there's math involved. You like count out, I guess. Yeah. Something. You, count to, you count to a number and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, put us in charge. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll go downhill from here. Um, <laughs> President Emmanuel Macron um, of France tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, Macron blamed it on bad luck and negligence. Yeah, that sure. seems about right. <laughs> I don't know what else it could be. He said he might have gotten it at a leader of European, uh, a summit of European leaders in Brussels earlier this month. Um, that seems that seems logical seems because the the prime minister of Slovakia, Igor Matovic, um, also has it, and he was also at the European Council meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, Angela Merkel of Germany does not have it, so. Thanks. Boris Johnson survivor. Boy, yeah. I don't was Boris there? Is he still invited to those meetings? Oh, no, they don't. Like I don't him. think he was there. I don't think they let him come anymore because they're no. out. Um, yeah. Um, additionally, anyway. back to the US side, there's been sort of miscommunication over how many doses the FDA said would be available. States were given estimates in mid-November but it turns out that was just a prediction according to an administration official. Um, so there have been less doses shipped than, than promised, 40% less in the case of Arizona, uh, California. Um, so I don't have any thoughts on that, just, just an error, a human yeah. error. Yeah. And I don't know who to put the blame on, Trump. I think, yeah, as always, we can blame Trump for most of it but i also do think we have to find some leeway with people because i think the people a lot of the people in charge of distribution are Mm -hmm. military and to a huge extent they can be trusted to do something like this like Uh they have the expertise so like they were off a little bit like it's unfortunate this is all happening very quickly um so yeah i i don't have you know a huge complaint about that no but just bad news you know overall and then additionally you have hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay (laughs) i was clicking through my notes and then i lost where i was are we doing tennessee now yeah well tennessee is in a bad shape um first lady maria lee has covid which her husband had it a few weeks ago I don't know. No, how no, they no. Didn't... I think he tested. He didn't test positive. I think he was exposed. I thought he had. Okay. Well, I, okay. I'm wrong. I thought he it had doesn't it. matter. It doesn't matter. She has it. Um, he, Governor Lee, will be addressing the state at seven tonight, Sunday, December 20th. So hopefully we're looking at a statewide mask mandate or something, or he's going to resign. Either would be great. Um, yeah. Connor, One hold you... my breath for the resignation. But eh, no, I'm not. I'm not. But I, you know, it's a it just comes at a time when Tennessee's ranked second in the nation behind California for one of the worst outbreaks. 
I think it's over 100 cases per 100,000 people at this time. Maybe I think it's close to 130 cases per 100,000, which is just awful. The governor has taken it upon himself not to implement the mask mandate and insist it's personal responsibility that will stop this pandemic. Um, turns out maybe that's not working, I would say, <laughs> and not working for any other state yeah. that has used this. Um, additionally, in a move that I, I can't comprehend, Tennessee has reserved 975 Pfizer vaccine doses into put for the put them into reserves. Um, this comes at a time they'll also put an additional 5,000 doses of the Moderna vaccine when it first gets it into reserves. According to the AP, no other state is doing this. In fact, you have uh, Idaho Health, Iowa, Illinois, they're all saying that a vial is no good unless it's in someone's arm. So yeah explain to me this i it makes no sense to me connor it's tennessee's weird obsession with like rainy day funds and you know setting things aside for for emergencies Mm -hmm. but it's like Mm -hmm. the time to use an emergency vaccine is during the emergency it's not this isn't i don't even have a comparison because you you lose out when you don't get shots into arms as quickly as possible. Like mm-hmm. there's no need to, like, what are you saving them for is my question. And I, you know, I don't think anybody has an answer for that. Um, and I take back what I said, it was 1300 cases per hundred thousand people. Okay. Not 130. Okay. okay. So wow. worse, worse, worse. worse. Yeah. Worse. Yeah. And I know um, depending on which metric you use, like you said, Tennessee was second to California mm-hmm. in the country. But in terms of transmission, Tennessee is currently the number one hotspot in the world. So it's yeah, not great yeah. to be a Tennessean today <laughs> in terms of wanting to be healthy and alive. I, yeah. And I, I don't. I think this is just a complete abdication from the governor of any sort of sort of responsibility. Like, I think people would forgive him if he did something, but he did nothing. And right. that is, that's really inexcusable. When you have doctors across the state pleading with him to do some sort of leadership on anything, on mandating masks anything. or yeah. just doing something and they, he hasn't. Because yeah. he, he can't make a hard decision. And I think that's why he's storing the vaccines too, because they, he, they'd have to decide how to distribute them. Right. He'd have to make a decision. He'd have he'd to have make to. a decision. And I think when we're out of this, you know, a year from now, a year and a half from now, two years from now, however long it takes to really get, get back to quote normal, um, it will be impossible to quantify the the loss, the, the loss of human life that resulted from the politicization of wearing a mask. It just, I never fathomed, you know, January, February, when you start hearing about coronavirus, that it would become this politicized, which was maybe really naive of me. Um, but I think we've all learned a lot in the past um, 10 or 11 months about our, our fellow citizens and fellow members of our country in terms of willingness to care for one another, in terms of willingness to listen to science, in terms of willingness to listen to fact. And it's troubling to say the least. And yeah, once again, I just don't think we'll ever understand how many people are now dead who should have been alive 
um, as a result of mainly Republican leadership politicizing masks. I think you, we've, I hate to say it, I think we've already seen something like this already with the politicization of gun control, especially around schools, like deaths, needless deaths have been politicized that's a, no, and that's jaded an too. Comparison. That's a good and, comparison. No, I think this is easier. Like this is easier this is, than the gun this thing. This is easier. This is easier. Yeah, like vastly easier. Vastly. No one's taking away anything. In fact, they're, they're yeah. just asking you to do something. Yeah. And um, this reminds me of the stories we see where like back in the summer, uh, Donald Trump was offered a plan where the postal service would deliver masks to Americans and he nixed that. And I just think about how meaningful it would have been and how impactful it would have been had Americans, you know, maybe once a week starting in July or something, they were receiving disposable masks every, yeah, like every week in the mail. And just what, I mean, I don't know what the downside was for the federal government in that situation. He had a feud with the U, the, the Postal Service and Jeff yeah, Bezos. Yeah, he, he doesn't like Jeff Bezos because Amazon would have been like a prime um, candidate for distribution. What a, mm -hmm. just, it's just also ridiculous. Nope, nope. <laughs> I, I despise everyone who's been involved in this debacle. And, you know, I, yeah, I don't. That, it's that simple. Yeah, I won't be working to rehabilitate their characters once they're out of office, that's for sure. Um, no. Yeah. Okay. Um, is that all you had on COVID, Connor? Yeah, I was about yeah. to ask you, is my computer still safe? And the answer is no, Connor. <laughs> um, yeah, so the headline from The Guardian was, quote, U.S. scrambling to understand fallout of suspected Russia hack. Um, not good. It looks like Numerous federal agencies um, have been the victim of continuous attack since March, and it's really early, so we really don't know like how much information was compromised. The Department of Energy was a victim, though, so like nuclear weapons could have been compromised, or like information about that. Um, a quote from uh, Stephen Lynch, head of the House of Representatives Oversight and Reform Committee, um, he said, quote, this hack was so big in scope that even our cybersecurity experts don't have a real sense yet in terms of the breadth of the intrusion itself. Um, Mitt Romney said, quote, what I find most astonishing is that a cyber hack of this nature is really the modern equivalent of almost Russian bombers reportedly flying undetected over the entire country, which I think is a really apt comparison. Um, it's bad that Russia gained access to so much information. Um, there were also like Fortune 500 companies that were impacted by this or are still being impacted by this because it's not something where you just flip the switch and the Russians disappear. It's ongoing and it's gonna take a really long time to fix it. And Donald Trump has said nothing. He has just been completely silent. He's downplayed on it. Yeah, he, I think he suggested that it might be China which just isn't the case. China engages in stuff of much lower degree than this in terms of like intellectual property theft, um, but nothing to this scale that we know about at least. Um, so Connor, I think it's time um, when the Biden folks get in, they better change the password on their computer. From password, I think, it, I think the setting was you just go password. From, you go from password to password one, two, three, exclamation point. It fixes mm -hmm. the problem. We'll be good to get Capital P. Capital, yeah, P. capital P. And then one of your yeah. S's is a dollar sign. 
yeah, um, that's it. And that'll fix it. That's that's mm-hmm. how you keep out the Russian hackers. Now, uh, what what do you think about this, Connor? I mean, obviously it's bad. <laughs> yeah, I the scope is incomprehensible so far. Like as as these people have pointed out, we don't know exactly what else has been hit, and we don't know the extent to which departments have been infiltrated, and it's worrisome because you know computers aren't new and you would have hoped that the united states would have at least a better deterrent i saw um senator romney speaking today on meet the press and he said that big chuck Todd could... fan well that's a different conversation <laughs> um <laughs> but <laughs> he said that this was tantamount to like like you said like russian aggression like a declaration of war uh, like, uh, well they're met um, yeah that's that's a big statement the fact he said that the fact i'm paraphrasing perhaps but um <laughs> the fact he said that the fact that there wasn't better um deterrence that the russians didn't think that we were capable of stopping this or our systems weren't up to snuff in terms of like maybe like it wouldn't be successful that's the bigger issue here like it's the blames on us like yeah we like this shouldn't happen yeah yeah, you're right. It's like, inc- it shouldn't be this this bad. <laughs> yeah, you and Senator Romney are right. It is incumbent upon the United States to both deter attacks like this, but also have every possible measure in place to guard against them and not let it take seven months or whatever to figure out that it's happening. Wow. It's just like the implications are probably not completely spelled out yet, but I mean... That's having access to the Department of Energy. That's having access to power grids and power grids that go to hospitals and power grids that, that you know, keep the nuclear arsenal safe. It's, it just really can't be um, overstated how dangerous of a situation we find ourselves in. Yeah, computer hacker, I'm not, but... <laughs> yeah, not although you have, you have taken computer science courses and, you know, I don't know. Maybe Let me do some you. simple addition yeah. on Python for everyone. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't have a ton to say about that story. I just think it should be brought to people's attention because this isn't, you know, troops being moved to a border or, you know, missile facilities being built, but it's just as dangerous. Just um, as dangerous now, especially. It's just what the 21st century looks like in terms of aggression and especially conflict between two states rather than like terrorism i think yeah Um, yeah um yeah totally (laughs) so connor let's end on a high note let's talk about the relief negotiations currently mucking mucking their way (laughs) through congress so it sounds like something's gonna pass either late tonight (laughs) sunday or monday at some time some sort of Frankenstein of legislation is going to stumble out of um, the Capitol. We don't know exactly what it is. Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania kind of choked up negotiations when he introduced legislation reining in Federal Reserve powers towards emergency lending programs towards small businesses and other like other aspects of the economy. The Fed in this case, as we've talked about before, Fed talk everyone. Yeah, Fed talk. <laughs> has has unprecedented leeway in crediting and providing emergency assistance loans to small businesses to to large businesses to the economy as a whole because fiscal policy from congress as as we can tell from this has been un, unsuccessful and stalled up 
The Fed, meanwhile, isn't, isn't hampered by this. So Senator Toomey's legislation would seek to cut those powers right as um, President-elect Biden's about to take office, hampering his ability to, to handle the financial crisis. Apparently, um, there's been some sort of compromise introduced by uh, Chuck Schumer. Additionally, another holdup has been the direct payments. Currently, I think it sits at $600 towards individual families and children below a certain threshold of income. This is in contrast to Congress approving $1,200 in direct payments in the $2.2 trillion stimulus law passed in March. In a weird combination, you have Bernie Sanders and Josh Hawley, along with President Trump, urging for more money in the direct payments. Um, They're President all populists. It, it's not that inconceivable. It's, well, President Trump doesn't know what a populist is. No, but he, he sometimes yeah. exhibits the characteristics of one. No, but but Holly and Sanders working together on this is, yeah. is a good thing, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because people need money. $600 is enough to do this sort of thing. Uh, to it's not, a, it's not a stimulus. It's a, a survival check at this point. It's not. That's right. That's right. doesn't exactly pay the rent you know no it just doesn't especially for the however many months it's been since the the one yeah twelve hundred dollars check was sent out eighteen hundred dollars spread over ten months i think uh who i think it was ayana presley from massachusetts like this bill notwithstanding the government has given us 450 pennies every day since march to live on and that doesn't include um adults who are still dependents on their parents taxes so connor you and i um it just it's just so inconceivable that the richest country um in on the face of the earth can't do can't do better than six hundred dollars per adult and child mm-hmm. and you had i'm gonna throw out a lot of names either senator <laughs> ron johnson john cornyn or jim representative jim jordan one of those three said that they didn't want to mortgage their children's future by I think Ron blowing Johnson. up Ron Johnson by blowing yeah. up the deficit. And again, that's not how the deficit works. Ron Though Johnson. all of those people are the same. Uh-huh. And he knows this because it doesn't in, in the Congress specifically, Fed talk again yeah. in a country that issues its own currency. That's right. Money doesn't um, votes make the aid possible there's not constrained by money. Like there's no fiscal constraint. It's, it's finding the political will to pass these, these, these laws. Yeah. Because it's not even about printing physical bills anymore. It's, it's the fed and the treasury moving decimals around on a computer screen. It just, Uh it has, yeah. Mm. Mm -mm. So I'm sure everyone was very excited for that fat fed talk. Yeah. That was very Um, exciting. The follow-up everyone was waiting for. (laughs) Um, But Something will pass for the stimulus. It won't be enough, not nearly enough for anything to really happen except for everyone to pat themselves on the back and say, we passed yeah. relief at this time. But, you know, until thank, hopefully that the Democrats win in Georgia, there won't be a stimulus bill that meets these needs because the Republicans are intent on like not helping people, I guess. Mitch McConnell would rather... Americans starve for the next two years than risk um, Biden having a good showing in the 2022 midterms. 
Um, and that's what it's about for him. And that's all it is. That's, is that's all it's it comes down to. It's a political calculus. Yeah. Mitch McConnell wants um, Republicans to retake both chambers of Congress. And if it takes, um, you know, another 400,000 Americans dying, so be it. So be it for him. Um, one good thing about, or a couple good things about this bill is it's likely that it will extend unemployment insurance, which is really important right now, and an extension of the eviction moratorium, um, which is again really important because people deserve to have roofs over their heads um, in, a, in a country like this. Um, one interesting thing, Connor, is tonight at midnight, the, the budget expires. So regardless of voting on the relief package, um, they're going to have to do a short-term funding bill for the rest of the government. Um, I don't think there's any talk that, that could get blown up, um, but that is something to be mindful of and kind of keep our eye on as we, as we get through the week. Yeah. So a relief maybe is coming for some people um, at some point in time is really the best news. But it's not possible. enough. No, and no. And unless you go back and retroactively give everyone $2,000 a month since March, it never will be enough. And it will take a long time for the economy to really recover from this. And when I say economy, I'm not talking about Wall Street. I'm talking about Main Street um, because that's, that's where the real and economy is. We're the only modern country, maybe not even so, that is not supporting any sort of paycheck surplus or help of financial aid of any kind. I, we're at zero percent. I know Japan's at a hundred percent, and then yeah, Canada. you had the you had the paycheck protection program, but that only applied to businesses who applied, and the money ran out. And, and I think they're going to corporations do, and largely, in some yeah, and. Yeah. yeah, like Joel Orstein's church in Houston when he that wouldn't let in the flood victims, he got like four million dollars on it. Um, not mm -hmm. great. <laughs> not great. And then you have just on the local side, I've seen some local chefs and restaurateurs in Memphis advocate for uh, a restaurant sort of amendment that provides not loans to businesses on like the first round, but grants, however, mm -hmm. rather, because like restaurants barely not make enough money. Yeah, the margins is, are tight. Really pay back the loans they took the first round. Yeah. So grants would be more applicable and more beneficial. Yeah. Which Wait the PPP loans were, that, were largely forgiven, but still I see the point. Yeah, like yeah. just make it a grant to start with. Don't you save yourself a ton of paperwork. Um, I guess there are accountability concerns. Anyway, relief might be coming. So fingers crossed, I guess. Um, so now Connor to start wrapping up news too dumb to be true and this is a lot but the headline Laura Trump who is Eric's wife so the president's daughter-in-law served on the board of a company through which the Trump political operation spent more than 700 million dollars by routing large campaign expenditures such as television and digital ad buys through an LLC, the Trump campaign and its joint committee with the National Party called the Trump Make America Great Again Committee, which in and of itself, a stupid name, mm -hmm. so unoriginal, was able to effectively shield many details of its spending, such as who was being paid and how much. The involvement of Mr. Trump's daughter-in-law is significant in part because questions have been raised over the last several months about how much money was spent by the campaign and who was aware of it. The first re-election campaign manager, Brad Parscale, who, yeah, had a lot of issues and mm -hmm. things kind of went off the tracks with him, um, 
he was pushed out over the summer and officials who remained on the campaign described a cash crunch. Mr. Parscale told the Times months ago that he made spending decisions in conjunction with the Trump family. The president's son-in-law and senior White House advisor, Jared Kushner, who handpicked Mr. Parscale for the role, positioned himself as the chief executive of Mr. Trump's re-election endeavor. Connor, it's messy. It's stupid. Um, the hallmarks. I, I, yeah, I hope this gets investigated because it sounds, it, you know, if it, you know, it just isn't good. If it, yeah, I don't know. Not it's good. Bad. It's bad. It's dumb, but it's true. So that's that's that. The amount of money that this campaign has stolen from its followers would be almost incalculable because I think some of it's been stolen by some of the managers and yeah, people yeah. who work on these court on these committees. So <laughs> it's just a big racket. Not great. And, and I I just it's a big money making scheme at this point. Well, as it, it's always been. It's actually. always been. It's always um, been. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything this week, Connor, that's too dumb to be true? Um, my news. Yeah. We, two things. One I already mentioned was the, the representatives elect and senators elect of Alabama and the, I think, first congressional district of Florida, Matt Gates, trying to derail the electoral college process. Like, that's just, that's just dumb and it's mm-hmm. stupid. And they're dumb people doing that. Second news. Dumb people doing stupid things, if you will. Dumb people doing, as is often the case in this, <laughs> in this segment. Um, you have, um, and this is I'm conflicted about. So if you want to work it through with me, feel free. Okay. Is having COVID deniers and um, down players receive the vaccine first in the houses of Congress and the White House, which I think is good for vaccine hesitancy among their followers, but also don't don't they don't deserve it they like healthcare workers need them first then marco rubio yeah and some I would say mitch mcconnell you know yeah i i get that and at face value i agree 110 percent. but the rational side of me has to prevail and say continuity of government is important and it would be inherently bad if yes. mike pence died of covid so i understand sure. the sentiment and i you know the, the bad part of me agrees with it. The fully partisan side agrees with it. But the part that, you know, hopes for stable government um, says Congress should get the vaccine. White House people, some of them should get the vaccine. Some of them should just be sent home or to prison. Um, but yeah, I, I get the point. And it is too dumb to be true that people who downplayed this crisis um, now get to be at the front of the line. Mm-hmm. And then for my recommendation this week, boy, oh boy, what a week it was. What a week it was. Well, there's, there's stages to this as usual. First off Mandalorian season finale, of course. Watch Uh, it. That was incredible. Incredible. Second, I'm not going to give everyone a reading assignment. Like some people tend to do. Okay. Just keep, keep going, keep going. Mm -hmm. But I will say this, especially this week leading into Christmas, and especially given if you're in Tennessee, just how scary it is right now, do something you enjoy, you know, give time for yourself to sort of like breathe and just relax. I started playing the piano today. Loved it. Um, Cooking. I did read some, but you know, I think it's important just to sort of, yeah, take care of yourself. Do something different. Take care of yourself. Self-care everyone. 
Absolutely. leading into the holidays. That's so nice, um, Connor. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Well, yeah, that's great. Thank you. That's yeah. Um, okay. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone, and happy holidays. And we will talk to you next week. For um, a special year in review. Yeah, episode. for for our final episode of 2020, which is exciting. And I think we're gonna do something a little bit different just to kind of celebrate. Mm, that's not the word. Think about the reflect on yeah. the year that 2020 has been and maybe look ahead to what 2021 can be. It ends. It ends December 31st. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it doesn't. It doesn't. The, it the spell's over. It just keeps going. All right, everybody, <laughs> goodbye. Have a good week. Thank you.